1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I just wonder if any of you have ever wondered, can God really use me for anything? Can God get glory from my life? Well, I'll tell you, he can. I'll give you the answer right there. But if you've ever wondered that, if you've ever thought, well, you know, at times my life has been somewhat of a mess, and so I don't know if God can really get glory from me, I encourage you to look at young Timothy, first of all. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus, okay? And Ephesus was a young church. Paul had spent about two years in Ephesus before leaving there. And when he left, he left Timothy, this young man, as pastor of the church there at Ephesus. And Timothy encountered some problems there in Ephesus. And among those in chapter 2, there became questions about public worship. And Paul deals with those in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Of course, there were the Judaizers there. There were people who were trying to persecute anybody who preached the gospel and anybody who preached Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, Paul instructs Timothy, and this, although we call this letter to Timothy one of the pastoral epistles, I think it's as much a church epistle as Romans or one of these other churches, because he's telling Timothy how to pastor in the church at, at Ephesus. And so in chapter 3, he talks about choosing qualified leaders. He gives the qualifications for a pastor. He gives the qualifications for a deacon there in that third chapter of 1 Timothy. And in verse 12 of chapter 4, listen to what he says. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And so what was happening is there may have been some who because Timothy was a young man, Greek society believed you really didn't come into maturity as a man until you reached age 40. Now, I sort of like that, you know, I'm, I'm just barely mature, right? <laughs> but anyway, Timothy was a young man. The Greeks had this view of age and how important it was. And so there may have been some who looked down upon him as a pastor because he had not reached what they thought was the age of maturity. And then in chapter 6, he deals with materialism. So here's Timothy, a young preacher in this church, trying to lead this church, and he has all of these difficulties, and maybe he didn't feel up to the task. But the Apostle Paul then uses himself as an example to Timothy, and in an effort to encourage this young servant, Paul says, you can do it. And look at what God has done by his grace. Look at what God has done by his mercy in my life. And Paul gives an account of his life prior to, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, prior to his coming to know Christ as Savior. But he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, look at me. Look what God has done in and through me. And Timothy 
If God can take me with all of the baggage that I have prior to my salvation, if God can take me with all that baggage and use me to get glory for his name, guess what? He can do it with you also. Amen. You know, there are people who think, well, and I thought this right after I had made public the call to preach. I said, I can never know as much as my pastor and I may never know as much as he did. I can't stand in a pulpit and preach like my pastor did and I may never preach as well or the same types of messages he did. But here's the thing. God calls us to salvation knowing our personalities, knowing our abilities and our inabilities and knowing how he can use us to get honor and to get glory for our lives. And that's what he did with this man. We know him as the Apostle Paul. He was known prior to getting that name changed as Saul of Tarsus. And so we're going to talk about his life in just a moment. But here's Paul's personal testimony. And that's what these verses are. And what God did in and to and for and through Paul, he can do in and to and for and through me by his great mercy and by his great grace. It's not your ability that God wants. It's your availability. Amen. God can take me and you as we are. And he can give us the ability to faithfully serve him. I used to say I can't preach. and deacon, Thank you. I was waiting for the deacon to answer that. When I used to say I can't preach. And the deacon say amen. I can't folks. But God in me can. And that's what we need to learn. Why well, can't witness? Christ in you can. Okay. I can't invite people to church. Christ in you can. And by the way, since I mentioned that, I was trying to figure out how to work this in. <laughs> we want to see visitors, but we are not going to see visitors unless we're out there inviting visitors. Amen. To sit back and say, I'm going to fold my arms and do nothing and expect God to provide visitors is the wrong approach. And God expects us to be out there talking about him. Well, first of all, I want you to see the testimony of a sinner. The testimony of a sinner in verses 13 and 15. Because look at what Paul says of his life prior to salvation in verse 13. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Okay? He said he was a blasphemer. Paul slandered the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Prior to his salvation. He went about saying bad things about Jesus, saying bad things about people who had followed Jesus. He tried to put believers into jail, into prison. He tried to break up churches. He said, I was a blasphemer. By the way, you realize that even saved people can be a blasphemer? You know, we think the scripture says, and this is one of the Ten Commandments, but it's not just one of the Ten Commandments. It's a commandment from God that's good for all ages, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Do you know an individual or a church? Now you don't have to use a curse word and apply God's name to a curse word to take God's name in vain. All you have to do is say, I'm a Christian. Or we're one of the Lord's churches. And not do what God's word says to do. Not live up according to the way God expects us to live. And you know what we're doing? We're taking his name in vain. We're applying his name, but we're not acting like his children. I've always wanted my children to understand that their actions reflect on their father and upon their mother. Amen. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. Weren't we in Israel when we saw somebody we knew from, we didn't even know they were going. We were in Israel when we ended up seeing somebody that we knew from over here, from this town, okay? And so you're always going to run into people. 
who know you or know your parents, this is for young people, and you don't know they know you and your parents, and they're going to see how you act. And so our, what we do reflects upon our parents. Well, listen, what a child of God does reflects upon his heavenly father. If a child of God does not live a godly life, what does it say about God? And so we don't always do it with our words to blaspheme God. Sometimes we do it with our living. Well, Paul, prior to his salvation, says he was a blasphemer. Then he says he was a persecutor. He was guilty of acts of hatred and cruelty toward people who knew Christ as Savior. And some of them were his fellow Jews. I mean, if you go to Acts, the seventh chapter, the 58th verse, you know what you're going to read about Saul of Tarsus there? The men who stoned Stephen to death laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. He kept the coach for the people who were killing Stephen, a man who had witnessed uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, in that seventh chapter, given just a great history of the nation of Israel. In chapter 8, we're told that he persecuted believers. In fact, it says in verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Now, that word havoc just means that he, it, it's from a word that means to loosen or to dissolve. He was breaking up churches. He was trying to get them out of the way. He didn't want churches to exist. And it goes on to say, entering into every house and hailing, and that word hail means to draw or to drag, hailing men and women committed them to prison. So here's what he'd do. He'd go and try to break up a church. If he couldn't break up a church, he'd go find out where believers were and he'd grab them and put them in jail. Why? Because of trusting Jesus. So he was a persecutor, and that is his testimony of himself. And then he says injurious, which refers to a violent, overbearing person who is just outrageous in personal insults. Can you imagine what Saul of Tarsus would say about a child of God, about somebody who trusted Jesus? I can sort of use my imagination and think of some of the things he might have said. There's some of the things that people today are saying about children of God. I think it was last week that I told you I heard of a professor one time many years ago who said that evangelical Christians are the cause of mental problems in our world today. Well, that's ridiculous. The cause of mental problems is various, but it has to do with the sin nature. When God created Adam, God created Adam perfectly healthy mentally, physically, and spiritually. And when Adam sinned and broke that relationship with God and became a sinner and produced nothing after that but sinners, they're no longer spiritually, mentally, or physically completely healthy and completely whole. Now, I want you to note, Saul did all of the things he did as a religious man. You think about that. You read his pedigree over in the third chapter of the book of Philippians. He was a big, as one man said, a big muckety-muck in the Jews' religion. He was somebody important. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He stood for the law of Moses. He was a very religious individual. He was a lost religious man. Somebody says, I'm religious. I wouldn't give you much for that. Somebody says, I know Jesus Christ is Savior. I'll give you something for that. But religion is the devil's biggest business. And people think because they're religious, they're going to heaven. No, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, you're not going to heaven. Amen. And Paul, or Saul, did the things that he did as a religious man, an unsaved religious man. Now, before we come down too hard on Paul or on Saul, let's take a look at ourselves. Do you realize that you and I have nothing in our past to brag about Amen. before we were saved? 
what was I? What were you before you were saved? Well, I'll tell you what I was before I was saved. I was a lost sinner going to hell. Yes, I was going to church because my mom and daddy made me go to church. Yes, I tried to behave because if I knew I didn't, the Board of Education would be applied to the seat of learning. You know, I understand those things. And, and so I did some things that might be considered good things only because of fear of what might happen. But one day I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And it changed my life. It'll change your life. Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, Paul's writing to Timothy, who was a pastor of this church at Ephesus. And then Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. And he said, talking to save people, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of the disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know what that's saying? We deserved hell. Amen. Everyone under the sound of my voice watching by live stream, who may watch this later, before you were saved, if you are saved, before you were saved, you deserved hell. I did too. But thank God he saved us. And now we know that we're good for heaven. But look at his deception that he talks about, about in verse 13. He says what he did, he did ignorantly. He did it ignorantly. There's nothing wrong with being ignorant. It's wrong to stay ignorant, okay? But Paul said, what I did, I did ignorantly, and he's not making excuses. He is stating a fact. He did not understand the ramifications of his actions. He thought he was serving God. And there are a lot of people doing a lot of things, religious things today, that think they're serving God. They even think that it, when they're praying, they're serving God. They even think that when they show up at a, a church service, they're serving God. But if they don't know Christ as Savior, they're not serving God. Paul had rejected Jesus. Paul or Saul had rejected the gospel message. He's trying to earn his salvation. And he stayed in a state of blindness until his eyes were opened on that road to Damascus. Amen. A light brighter than the noonday sun. And a voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he answered and said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus Christ, whom you persecuted. See, what he didn't understand, that when Saul was persecuting believers, he wasn't just persecuting believers, he was persecuting Jesus. He was attacking Jesus. And listen, you and I need to remember that. When we go out in the world, we try to talk to somebody about Christ, we try to invite somebody to church, and they malign us, they say bad things about us, they insult us. It's not me they're insulting, folks. It's Jesus Christ when I go out in the name of Jesus and try to lead people to Christ. But once again, Saul's condition prior to salvation mirrors the life of every lost person. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 have to say, because every lost person is in blindness. They may have 20-20 vision, but they're in blindness. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know what Satan is doing in our society today? He's blinding people. Amen. He's blinding people to the word of God. He's blinding people to the truth. He's blinding people to their need of Jesus Christ as Savior. And he's having a field day doing it. Just turn on the radio, the television, pick up a newspaper, a magazine, whatever. Listen to what people say and what people, we live, I think you'd agree with this, we live in almost a 
party time attitude in America. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Now I don't have to work anymore and I can go out and I can get smashed over the weekend. I can go to this party. I can go to that party. And I can just forget about everything, including God and including Christ, and just live my life. And we live in that kind of a day and Satan is blinding the eyes of people to the need of Jesus Christ as Savior. Listen, we did not, you and I who are saved, we did not on our own choose to accept Christ as Savior. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 6 verse 44? No man cometh unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Now here's how that drawing works. That lost person comes in contact with a person that knows Christ as Savior and they tell him about Jesus. And they witness of what Christ has done in their lives. And they give this testimony of the saving power of Jesus. And God, through the Holy Spirit, works on that person, convicts them. You are a lost sinner. You are on your way to hell. You deserve it. But I love you. And I love you enough that I sent Jesus to die on the cross that if you'll turn to me, this is what God's saying, if you'll turn to me and apply the blood of Jesus Christ by faith, you can be saved and you can be my child. Amen. Now, then the Holy Spirit, in convicting that person, finally uh, they are drawn to accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. That word draw means attract. And Jesus said, no man's going to come to me except my Father attract him. And it comes by the work that you and I do as children of God. We begin it by witnessing. Paul calls it, I think, over in the book of 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, planting of seed, you know. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And then Paul sums it all up. This is his diagnosis. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Now listen, I believe that every child of God ought to have that attitude. Every one of us ought to say, no, I'll take issue with you on that, Paul. I'm the chief of sinners. And somebody else could say, no, I'm the chief of sinners. Have you ever run across anybody that says, well, I'm too bad to be saved. I'm too much of a sinner to be saved. I tell you what, if they ever say that, take them to these verses and say, no, you're not because the chief sinner, the chiefest of sinners, the worst sinner's already been saved. He said so in the word of God. And if God can save the worst of sinners, if God can save the chief of sinners, he can save you. That's your answer to somebody that says, well, I'm too bad to be saved. But you know what? I think one of the reasons that we today are not as grateful for our salvation as we ought to be if we've never reached that point that I'm the chief of sinners. I was saved at a young age. How bad can a little boy be? Preteen. How bad can you really be? Well, I'll tell you how bad you can really be. Go to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians and see what the works of the flesh are and see what is in our flesh. Murders, adultery, hatred, emulation, all of those things that are in our flesh. And that's how bad a preteen boy without Christ can be. Because that is in our flesh due to the sin nature. In Luke chapter 7, we have the account of Mary washing the feet of Jesus and drying his feet with her hair. And here's what Jesus said about her. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. They'd already been forgiven. The washing of his feet is not what made her sins forgiven. They'd already been forgiven. But he's telling people why she acted the way she did. Her sins, which were many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And that's why she did what she did. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. God doesn't have any grandchildren, okay? 
And if we feel like, well, my parents were saved and I just sort of slid into, no, you didn't slide. You might slide into third base or home plate, but you didn't slide into salvation. And you had to come to salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And you had to come to salvation realizing that I am a horrible sinner separated from God by my sin. And if we'd realize that, folks, we might love the Lord a whole lot more or show that love a whole lot more than we do. We have been forgiven a great debt and we ought to be willing to show great gratitude toward our God. It bothers me when a child of God just sort of wants to take God and living for God and serving Him, worshiping Him through a church service like this when they want to take that for granted. Well, the church will always be there. I can go anytime I want to. You better be careful. There might be a 7-Eleven here one day. You say, well, what happened to the church? Well, it died. Well, they shouldn't have let it die. That's what they say a lot of times. They shouldn't have let it know. We need to be faithful. Then there's the testimony of a saint in verses 13 and 14. I like this part. That other part's sort of dark and, and gloomy. But listen to this testimony of a saint. He talks, first of all, about his conversion. But I obtained mercy. Amen. You obtained mercy. I obtained mercy. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds Timothy of how he was saved. What was the means of your salvation? He said it was by grace, with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I don't want to quote those verses without giving you verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are saved not by works, but we're saved in order to work. And God has saved us by his grace. Now he says it's mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. I said every one of us deserves hell. But God in his mercy made a way to escape hell. And grace came and confronted Paul in that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Grace came and confronted Paul face to face and God said here I am. I want to save you. And faith took over. And Saul Remember what he said on that road to Damascus, who art thou, Lord? He recognized Jesus as Lord, and then he said, what wilt thou have me to do, Lord? Grace confronted Paul, confronted Saul, and he acted in faith and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. But look what it says. This grace is exceeding abundant. That's important. We see little phrases like that. We tend to skip over them. That's important. You know what that is saying? God's grace was more than Paul needed. I mean, Paul needed grace. Saul needed grace. But God's grace was overflowing. And see, see and God didn't have just enough grace to save one man. God has enough grace and enough mercy and enough love to save every man, woman, boy, and girl who has ever existed or who will ever exist upon the face of this earth. That's how great God's grace is. It is sufficient to meet the sinner's need. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says this, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So God's grace is overflowing. And in his life, as a lost sinner, God's grace overflowed into Saul's life, and he said right here, he obtained mercy. Now this is important because this is passive voice. And if you understand anything about English, you, maybe we've got some English majors here. If you understand anything about passive voice, what this means is Paul didn't go seeking mercy. Mercy. 
mercy found him. Listen, mercy found you and mercy found me one day. When God's grace came and, and mercy sought us and we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And we are saved today the same way that Saul of Tarsus was saved, the same way that Timothy was saved, the same way that all of those folks in the New Testament and ever since have been saved, God's love moves and sends Jesus to the cross in his mercy and in his grace he seeks us out. We turn toward him in repentance and by faith we apply the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. We're saved the same way all of the apostles were saved and all of those, again, in the New Testament were saved. Think about this. In your life, in my life, if I were to tell you some of the events of my life, you got a minute? When I was about three years old, I don't remember this. My mother told me about it. When I was about three years old, I was playing in the backyard one day and had a big rock and threw it up, and it came down and split my head open. Doctor said pour peroxide in it, and that's what she did, and I've had that brain ever since. I was probably about 10 years old. I was bitten by a snake. Turned out to be a non-poisonous snake. But we didn't know that at first. We were camping out, and a tornado came through, and a pine tree started to fall right toward our tent where my parents had told me to get for safety. <laughs> and it started falling. They told me to get in the car. It caught on another tree and stopped and didn't fall on our tent. I could go on. I have a lot of events like that. And I look back, and you know what I see? God's mercy held off wrath, held off death, until I could come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. When I realized that, and after I was saved, and God started dealing with me about the call to preach, it didn't take long to figure out, there's a reason you preserved my life, Lord. And I fully believe that with all of my heart. God's grace reached out in love to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this grace is so much greater than all of our sins. Some people say, I'm just going to heaven by the skin of my teeth. No, you're not. You're going to heaven held tight in the grip of God's grace in your life. There's a song I'll just wanted to include in this message this morning. I love it. It's called Grace Greater Than Our Sin. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of it. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. And you know what? Even as a child of God, I need God's grace that's greater than all my sin. Because our God is a forgiving God. And if you have failed Him as a child of God, don't quit. We studied Joshua. We're studying Joshua in Sunday school. Seventh chapter of Joshua, Israel goes up against Ai. Gets defeated. Because of one man's sin. We talked about that. In the eighth chapter of Joshua, God says to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Now, I'd already told him that about three times in the first chapter. And I said, the reason God repeated it in the eighth chapter is after this failure, Joshua needed to know I'm still with you. And I said, you know what happens a lot of times? I believe, this is just my personal opinion, that people get in churches and they are sincere about serving God. They want to be faithful, but they slip up. They sin. They fail God. And they're so crushed by that failure, they say, well, I can't live this life. I'll just quit. 
And so they just drop out and they quit serving God and they're going to heaven as a child of God, but they're still not serving God and they're not faithful to God. I think that happens quite a bit, but God's grace is greater than that. And we need to understand that. I've got to move on. The manifestation of his conversion, when grace came into Paul's life, you know what it did? It allowed him to love a people that he had hated. He hated Christians before he was saved. And now all of a sudden he loves God's people. See, here's what grace and faith will do and, and God's grace will do in the life of a child of God. It'll give him a love that he can't understand. Love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. That's what the word of God says in 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 and 8. And then in 1 John chapter 4 in verses 19 and 20 and we're studying by the way 1 John on Wednesday night 7 o'clock be here. I uh, thought I'd throw that in. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Amen. See, we didn't just love God. God loved us first. And we're able to love God now that he has loved us. If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Grace came into Paul's life and it changed his life completely. Listen to Philippians chapter 3 beginning in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You want a life-changing event? Come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and then commit your life to a faithful service of Him. Because here's what God's grace can do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He is a new creation. Old things are passed away, it says. Behold, all things have become new. You want a life-changing event, come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and you'll be able to love with the love of Jesus Christ. See, the world doesn't understand the love of Christ. It's agape love. It's self-sacrificing love. It's love that puts others ahead of yourself and certainly puts God first. And you'll be able to love with that kind of love for the Lord, for your brethren. Listen, you'll be able to love lost people with the love of Christ. Well, finally we get to the testimony of a servant in verse 12. Because look at what Paul says. He's, he gives him the reason, first of all, for his service. Now, remember, he's come from being Saul of Tarsus to being this blasphemer, this persecutor, this injurious person. And now he's preaching Christ and he's establishing church. In fact, God used Paul to write over half or about half of the New Testament to establish churches. And probably we exist today because of some of the work of the Apostle Paul. There is some evidence that he got into the area that we know as Wales. And when they were coming to America, the Welsh Baptists came and established Baptist churches. And, and we grew out westward from the East Coast that way. And we could be here because of what the Apostle Paul did. But look at what he says. In verse 12, he said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That's the best reason to be in the ministry, because God puts you in the ministry. I've known some young men that said they were called to preach, and they lasted for a short time, and then they quit. 
Well, did God put them in the ministry or not? I don't know. But there's a possibility. You know, sometimes mamas want their sons to grow up to be preachers. But mama and daddy can't call you to the ministry. Grandparents can't call you. God has to call you to the ministry. Of the gospel ministry. And Paul says, he, God put me. He counted me. He regarded me faithful. He regarded me as dependable. And so God said, I'm going to have you preach my word. And so God put him in the ministry. Paul did not choose, Saul, however you want to refer to him, did not choose the ministry as a career choice. Well, I think it'd be a good idea. By the way, I don't know of any preacher. Now, there's probably some on television or somewhere that chose it as a career choice. But I don't know of any true preacher that said, well, this would be a good career choice. I think I'll be a preacher. I won't have to work but two days a week and get all this big pay. Now, you all know that's not true, don't you? It doesn't work that way. But Paul didn't choose it. The Lord put him where he wanted him to serve. The Lord put him in the ministry and directed him where he went. And he served God faithfully where he was for the glory of God. Not for anything that he would get out of it necessarily. And listen, God has a place of service for every child of his. Amen. If you are a member of this church, I think in the bulletin article today, I used Acts 2.47. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I believe with all of my heart that God adds to the church. Amen. I've tried to add a few folks to the church, and that didn't work out too well. But God adds to the church. You know, I've seen, what do you mean you've tried to add to the church? Well, I've just seen people, boy, I thought they'd be a good member. <laughs> Found out later, uh, it, a lot of times it caused contention and problems and so forth. Let God add to the church. But the Lord adds to the church, and if you're here and God puts you here, there's something God wants you to do as a member of this church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that God designed the human body as it pleased Him. Why do we look like this? Because according to Genesis, God speaking to himself said, let us make man in our own image, the blood flowing, shadow casting image which we intend to become. Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And so God made man to look like this. God designed the body. And do you know that God did not put anything unnecessary in the body? Amen. I've always heard for many, many years that the appendix in the human body, you can live without it. You don't have to have an appendix to live. But the appendix was thought to be sort of useless. Had no purpose. Listen to this. The appendix. The function of the appendix appears to be to expose white blood cells to the wide variety of antigens or foreign substances present in the gastrointestinal tract. Thus, the appendix probably helps to suppress potentially destructive humoral, that's blood and lymph-borne antibody responses while promoting local immunity. Did the appendix have a purpose? Yeah, God put it in there and God gave it a purpose when he put it in the human body. And when God again put you in this body, he had a purpose for you to be in this body. Now, in the bulletin article, and I'm not going to just go over it, but I wrote about, because this is that time of year, and I, you know I'm a baseball fan, I like baseball, I like to watch it, but this is the time of year, or at least a couple of months ago, or a month or so ago, was when teams start trying to trade to get better players to help them win a championship or win in the playoffs. And I said in the bulletin article, I don't know of any team that ever, and you know, they'll trade two or three players and sometimes money to get a superstar, 
But I don't know of any team that's ever traded for somebody and when he came to their team said, okay, now you put on the uniform and sit on the bench because you're going to be a great asset to us sitting on the bench. They don't do that. They'll pay millions of dollars a year, but they want that man in the lineup and they want that man performing, getting hits, scoring runs, hitting home runs. They, they want that because they're trying to win. And yet we think in the Lord's church many times that God's called me to come in and fill a pew. No. God has us here for a reason. God has us here for a purpose and there is something that we can do. We need to find our place of service and we need to serve God in that place of service. You say, I was talking to Sister Mary yesterday and I said, and I told her, I said, right now the service that God has for you, because I know she told me again and I know she does, about time for me to get up and preach, she's praying for me. And I know she meant it and I know she's telling the truth. Amen. Okay? I said, right now, the job that God has for you to do is to pray for the church, pray for your pastor, just pray for us as we have our services. And I know she's faithful to do that. I mean, you may come to the point in your life where you can't do anything else. You can't get up and go. You can't be doing the things that you used to do. See, we all want to do the things we used to do, but sometimes age keeps us from doing it. And so we need to come to that point where, Lord, what is it that I can do for you now? And it may be to pray. It may be to get on the telephone and call people who haven't shown up at church for weeks or months and, and encourage them to come back. It may be to pray for them that, here's what I'm praying for, that we a lot of people, I want God to convict their hearts so bad. Cause them to realize their need to be here. They're saved they, by their profession. They're members of this church. Lord, just get on them and cause them to be here. Pray that way for them. Witness to somebody. Why well, can't witness somebody? You can tell them why you were saved, how you were saved, what you need to do to be saved, okay? Amen. And you can do that on the phone. You can do that with a text. You can do that with a Facebook message. You can do that with an email. Why well, don't get out as much? Fine, get on your computer, okay? And encourage people. I know that was done just the other day by someone, and I'm not going to embarrass them, but I wouldn't embarrass them, but I'm not going to tell who. But we need to find our place of service. Listen to verses 17 through 19 here in this first chapter, 1 Timothy. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. How can I have a good conscience before God? Faithfully serve God. Amen. Be true to him. And Paul said God enabled him. That means he strengthened him. He imparted dynamic ability to him. God didn't say, well, Paul's a great teacher. God didn't say Paul's a great preacher. I'll call him. He didn't say Paul is, has great intellect, although he did. He didn't say Paul has great natural ability. No. God said, I'm going to call you to do this. And when I call you to do this, I'm going to give you the ability to do it. You know what that tells us? God's not going to give you something to do that he won't enable you to do. If God says witness, God will give you the ability to witness. If God says invite, God will give you the ability to invite. If God says teach a class, he'll give you the ability to teach a class. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10, listen to what Paul, here's his testimony. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And folks, that's my testimony. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Don't blame the bad stuff on God, but if there's anything good, you thank God for it. Amen. 
And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul said, I worked hard at it, but it wasn't me doing it. It was the grace of God working through me, doing that laboring for the cause of Christ. Don't fear what God may call you to do in his service. I said he'll prepare us and he'll equip us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Verses 5 and 6, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I've mentioned this verse a moment ago. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Let God use you. Let God give the increase. He said in Philippians 4, 13, And we're familiar with it, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And then there's the results of his service. Look what he says in verse 16, For this because I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. What's he saying? He says God chose to extend his mercy to me as a pattern to other people. As a pattern to other people. He talks about God's long suffering. That means God goes a long time before being angry. And God waited a long time on Saul of Tarsus. Put up with a lot of things out of Saul of Tarsus. And listen, if God can wait a long time to save Saul of Tarsus, he can save anybody. Amen. He may have to wait, but he can save anybody. And he said, my life will be a sketch, an outline, a pattern of conviction of sin, repentance toward God, and faith in Jesus Christ. And here's, what, here's how we would apply that. God saying to each one that's looking up this way, each one watching by live stream, look folks, if I can save Jim Harris and use him, I can use you. Amen. I can save you and I can use you. And that's why God saved us. To set us before a lost and dying world as an example. And here's what God's saying, I can take any old sinner, any old sinner, if he'll turn to me in repentance and accept Christ, I can clean him up and I can strengthen him and I can use him to get glory for my great name. And we're going to close with the rejoicing of this service. Once Paul considered everything that God had done for him, look what God has done for me. Look at verse 17. He just, he can't keep quiet. It's almost like I've got to sing. I've got to sing a song of praise. I've got to do something. You know, we have used to have testimonial services and there people couldn't keep quiet. They wanted to stand up. Now you have a testimonial service. You have to twist arms to get people to stand up and talk about what God has done for them. Shouldn't be that way. Paul gets to think about what God has done and he says, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. We don't hear hallelujah in Baptist churches. Amen. We don't hear praise the Lord in Baptist churches. Well, that, you know, all those other groups say that, but we're not going to. We have let other folks put ice on our enthusiasm Amen. for God. I don't want to go off the deep end and do silly stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about praising God like Paul did. Amen. And he just talked about how God had saved him and God had used him. Well, I'll close with a few verses. In Psalm 96, verses 8 and 9, Give unto the Lord... The glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, by him, talking about Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. How often during a week do we, out in public, in front of people, thank God? And tell you, Sister Mary told me yesterday, she was, there was a lady there where she normally is, not there in Compass, but where she normally is, that had been, had some problems, been gone for a while, and the day they got her back and she came into the cafeteria, into the dining room where they were eating. Sister Mary said, I just had to. She said, I said, praise the Lord. Thank God. You know, Sister Mary. And she did that. And she said, people thought I was crazy. Why? Because she's praising God. Because she's thanking him that he brought somebody to, back to health and brought them back to where they needed to be. And I said, yeah, you're right. You do that out in the world, people look at you like you're crazy, but let them think I'm crazy, all right? Amen. God knows I'm not. Well, you know, to a point. Amen. Thank you. Psalm 107.2, let the redeemed, we forget about this one, don't we? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I'm not going to ask for testimonies this morning, but I just wonder because I'm going to make it real easy for you to raise your hand. How many in this building this morning would be glad to just let people know that you're redeemed of the Lord from the hand of the enemy? I see some hands going up. We ought to be. You'd feel funny now if I went back on my word and started asking some folks to stand up. <laughs> I won't do that. But the point is, we live in a world that praises and glorifies ungodly stuff. Amen. To our young people, I hate to say this, but sports figures that wouldn't give God the time of day are glorified. Actors and actresses who don't care about God and who are ungodly and many other things that they do. They're the idols for our young people. Folks, we need to get back teaching our young people you don't have any idols. You glorify God. You worship God. You praise God. And you live for God. If you're saved, you have a testimony just like Paul had, and we need to be willing to share it with other people. If you're saved, God has saved you for a purpose, and that's not just to get from earth to heaven. That's not just to escape hell. That's to serve him while we're here, to be a witness, to be a worker in this church. God has not saved anyone just to sit and sour and soak. God has something for me and you to do. You'd say, but it might not be something glorious like preaching or teaching a class or, or singing a special or something like that. That's okay. You know what it says in the Word of God? I'm just going to paraphrase it, okay? To those parts of the body that aren't real pretty to look at and everything, I mean, who wants to stand and stare at a brain or stare at a, maybe a, a liver or something like that? But to those parts, God gave them the most important function. And maybe you're not. I don't know what part of the body would you consider beautiful. Maybe you're not one of those beautiful parts of the body. But you just understand if all you can do is pray and show up and encourage people, that is so important. That is so important. Let's stand, please.